both uh, Matthew and Mark's account of Jesus' ministry, his um, day one of the job, so to speak, begin with these words, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Mark 1, 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. So Jesus uses kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God interchangeably, and he uses this word here or near interchangeably. But what he's saying is, this kingdom that you have longed for is at hand. It's no longer a possible future. It is occurring now in the present. And Jesus' main message when he starts teaching and preaching is all about God's kingdom. Now, we don't use this word today, so I think the concept can seem irrelevant, but this idea that the kingdom is not only relevant for us today, but is also one of the most hopeful, inspiring aspects of our faith that's to animate our life together and how we live outside these walls um, is just of central importance. So when Jesus says the kingdom is here, he's describing the long-awaited day the Jewish people were looking forward to when God would set the world right, where death and wrongdoing and evil would be done away with, and where love and life would rule. Right now, things are not the way it's supposed to be. But when God is ruling as king fully, the world is going to be different. There's going to be a different set of rules to live by. He's going to usher in a new regime, world order, one of justice and peace and love and right living. And so if that is really happening now, as Jesus says, that is good news indeed. And in fact, his miracles that he does are intended to provide evidence for that. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just teach about the kingdom and then give us a foretaste of it with his works. He specifically teaches his first disciples, and by extension then us, to pray for this kingdom, to become increasingly more of reality in our lifetime, in how we live. Matthew 6, 9, you are probably familiar with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is it? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that this kingdom he's initiated become a reality here on earth like it already is in heaven. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but um, things are already the way God wants them in heaven. Yes? Nothing's out of line. But here on earth, there is a lot, and we could make a list of how things are not the way it's supposed to be in so many ways. <laughs> so when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, let your way, the way things are supposed to be, become more a reality for us. We pray for it, and then we act toward it. We join him in seeing his way, this kingdom, become more of a reality. So, this will not happen perfectly before Jesus returns, but it is our calling nonetheless to say with Jesus, good news, there is a new way, there is a good life waiting for you. Be open to it. Consider this invitation. So I just want to say on this first Sunday, 
This is probably going to be a consistent theme you're going to hear at City Church. God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven because it was for Jesus. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells seven parables about the kingdom, and we're just going to look at four this month. So the first two deal with unrealistic expectations uh, Jesus' first listeners had of God's kingdom. And after Jesus clarifies some of those misperceptions of what this kingdom is, he invites people to respond to his kingdom, which we'll look at the last two weeks. So before we jump into today's parable, or parables, actually, I want to say one last word about parables in general, because this is a literary device Jesus used a lot. Parable is just simply a story with an intent, with a purpose. It's a technique good teachers would use to get their point across in a very memorable way. Rather than saying it in a straightforward and, let's be honest, boring way, Jesus taught in parables so these stories would get inside people and that we would think about them in our ordinary day. That's why the stories he told were full of images drawn from their everyday lives of those first century listeners. So I'm hoping that after today, you never look at a mustard seed the same. I hope that when you spread your seeded coarse Dijon mustard on your sandwich or spot a huge nest in a tree, whether it's bird or squirrel, you remember the essence of what Jesus is teaching here because he intends for it to capture our imagination and get inside us and make the connections in our everyday. So with that introduction aside, let's jump into today's passage. Today's passage is actually two very brief parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. There are two stories told together to make the same point. Uh, they are, as one scholar described, twins. I couldn't help but think of this because we have so many sets of twins in this congregation. Uh, but they're not identical twins. Um, they work in tandem to make the same point with ever so slightly different emphasis. So we're going to look at each parable separately, then we're going to ask the question what they mean for us today. Are you with me? Okay. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew 13, 31 to 35. He, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them and still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed, word can also be translated hid, into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So what was fulfilled was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus begins his description of God's kingdom with these two stories, or analogies more accurately. Unlike other parables Jesus tells, like the parable of the prodigal son or parable of the good Samaritan, there's not much plot development here. <laughs> they're short verses, and they're more like similes. If you're into poetry, the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is saying, 
You want to know what this kingdom is about? This is the image you should have in your minds. And the point is pretty straightforward, more so with the first illustration. Even without knowing much culture of the first century, it's pretty clear Jesus' point with both these examples is small agents can have big impacts. Small seed, big tree. Small amount of leaven, large amount of bread. Let's look closer at each one of these. As for the mustard seed, it's not technically the smallest seed there is today. Orchids and cypress are smaller, but it was the smallest seed used by farmers and gardeners at the time. When I studied in Israel for four months after graduating from college, I collected some mustard seeds so that one day when I was teaching the Bible, I could present them to people. Sadly, 25 years and seven moves later, I was unable to produce that for you today. But this is about the size they are, where that arrow is pointing. If, if maybe the younger eyes can see the little white dot where that arrow is pointing.、Um, that's it. You might have to squint to see it. Technically, it's one, willim- one millimeter in diameter. Takes about 750 seeds to equal one gram, if you want to think about it that way. If you want to know the size of a mustard seed, I, take, I encourage you to take out your pen or pencil right now, make a little teeny dot on your paper,、um, and it's about that size. But you get the point. See what I did there? It's small.、Uh, you might have to squint to see it. But watch what happens according to Jesus. It's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is not only the largest of plants, but it becomes a tree. And not just a little shrub, a tree big enough so the birds are going to come and perch or build nests in its branches. Now, interestingly, a mustard seed in Palestine would grow to about four to five feet. Now, I am slightly taller than five feet, so I will be our illustration today. This tiny seed that you have to squint to see grows up into a tree about my height. But Jesus is brilliant. He's going to drive the point home even more because actually, around the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is teaching these parables, given its temperate climate, mustard seeds were known to grow to about 10 to 15 feet in height. And we have descriptions of such trees full of birds. Who were drawn to both the shade and the seeds of the tree. So those listeners could probably hear the birds chirping loudly in the trees as Jesus is teaching. But whether he's referencing, and in their minds, they're picturing four to five foot tree or the 10 to 15 foot tree, the point is the same. Everybody gets it small seed, big tree. Now, parable of the yeast. A little less obvious, perhaps because most of us don't make bread. Okay, seriously, show of hands, who actually has yeast in their kitchen as we speak? Oh, good. I want to know who makes bread. Wow, more of you than I thought. My son wanted to bake something as a thank you for teachers, and they needed yeast. And I'm like, I don't have yeast. Go buy yeast.、Um, the, actually, what I think of is do you remember, this will date me, like, A long time ago, there were those friendship breads where you would like, someone would give you the starter loaf and like you'd follow these elaborate instructions. And a few days later, it would turn out into this thing that personally I never felt like went very well for me. But, anyways, this is what this reminds me of the yeast or the leaven, as it's translated in other versions. It's really fermented dough. 
So you would take flour, water, other ingredients. You would knead it, and then before you bake it, you take out a portion of it, set it aside, reserve it for the next time you're going to make the next batch. So that already leavened dough will be the starter or catalyst for the next batch of bread. Now, as to the amount of flour Jesus is referring to here in verse 33, it's about 60 pounds. Seems like a lot to us, but interestingly, this is what was considered a typical amount of flour to bake bread. It was typical then because it's all a woman in Galilee could knead at one time, and when she would bake it, that. Small amount would feed a hundred people, enough for a village. So when Jesus tells this story, it's very familiar. It's a common everyday example. They can picture it. In fact, they can about taste that bread. And both stories make the same point: small agent, big result. Humble beginnings, huge ending. Small, seemingly insignificant agent can yield exponential impact. You've heard the saying, "What you see is what you get." Well, here Jesus corrects, "What you see isn't even a fraction of what you're going to get." I think of the healing ointment、uh, Lucy from Chronicles of Narnia uses to heal people wounded in battle. It's just a tiny little drop of nectar will, you know, revive them immediately. So, if parables are stories told for a purpose or stories with intent, as one scholar describes, what is the question? Jesus is addressing for these listeners. That's why I wanted to start by the context of Jesus' teaching. When Jesus begins his ministry by announcing the kingdom is here, honestly, this raises confusion for them. Not because they didn't have a category of kingdom. No, that God would one day come and save the world and set it right was a given in their way of thinking. That it was coming. Was a certainty, but that it was coming now in this person of Jesus, this mere carpenter, Joey's boy from Nazareth, the son of an unwed mother from a podunk town. Well, that was a different matter. I mean, don't get me wrong; the miracles were nice and all, the teachings were good, but things aren't really changing that much. Things aren't really happening to the extent or in the way everyone thought they would. I mean, if a king is establishing his kingdom, why are his people still suffering? Why are the people of God, the Jewish nation, still oppressed by the Romans? If the king has indeed returned, why isn't it more visible? Why isn't it more clear? Why didn't Jesus post something provocative on Insta? Where's his media blitz? Where's the evidence this kingdom has started and is here? Even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and one chosen by God to pave the way for Jesus' work and ministry, has his doubts. Imprisoned by King Herod, he sends a message to Jesus. You can hear the depth of disappointment and discouragement in Matthew eleven one to three. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, "Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Is this really God's kingdom come? It doesn't seem like it. 
It doesn't seem like this, in, this kingdom is making an impact. From my jail cell, I'm not seeing a lot of change. Sure, I see some signs, few deeds, but why not more? Is this really the sum total of all we've been longing for? So Jesus tells these seven parables in Matthew 13 as a response to that question. And he tells these parables specifically to correct John's and those disciples' unrealistic expectation about the nature of God's kingdom. It doesn't come in high-profile, glitz and glamour, powerful ways. It comes from humble beginnings. It comes from mustard seeds and small batches of yeast. But don't be deceived by its small beginning. Don't underestimate its potent effect. You may have to squint to see it, but it's there, and it will grow and yield an unexpected, exponential, fruitful end Just you wait. I like how Klein Snodgrass, New Testament scholar, summarizes it in his book about the parables called Stories with Intent. The mustard seed similitude urges, possibly warns, (laughs) that no one should be put off by what appears unimpressive. Like the tiny mustard seed which grows into a large plant, so the kingdom is present even if hidden, unnoticed, ignored, and its full revelation with its benefits will come. Jesus is correcting their mistaken view. He's saying, yes, this is the kingdom you've been longing for. It may be small. It may be unexpected. It's frankly, largely unnoticed, but it's here nonetheless. And the future you long for is coming. All that is necessary for this to happen has occurred because of my arrival. The yeast is already baked into the bread. You can't remove it. You can't stop that bread from rising now. It will reach its fulfillment. And this is consistent with the rest of Jesus' life. His high school classmates didn't vote him most likely to succeed. He came from an obscure town in an ad hoc stable right under the nose of the powerful reigning King Herod, who is unaware of what tiny seed has just been planted. He came as a king, yes, but not a king on a majestic white stallion, but a donkey, actually a baby donkey. Matthew 21.5, describing Jesus entering Jerusalem that first Sunday. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And he conquers sin and death, not by slaying his enemies, but by allowing them to crucify him. This is Jesus' way. This is Jesus' kingdom. So what does that mean for us today? I see two main applications for us. The first, how do we see Jesus? And the second, how do we see ourselves? So let's start with the first. How do we see Jesus? If Jesus told these two stories to correct our unrealistic view of who he is and how he works in the world, we have to first ask, have we come to that understanding of who Jesus is? Now, I am assuming, and it is my sincere hope, uh, that many of you here today aren't yet sure who Jesus is. Maybe you're still figuring out this whole faith thing. We want City Church to be a place where people can safely explore that. 
This has been a value of this church long before I arrived on the scene. And I'm so grateful for that foundation. I hope to continue creating an environment where both seekers and skeptics can genuinely discover who Jesus is in a way that's comfortable. Many of you have already accepted Jesus' view of reality here, that God's good future has begun in and through Jesus. That because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God's new world order has invaded and pervaded all of this earth. And I hope these parables are strong reminders for you that God is indeed at work in this world, though it may not be as visible as you or I would like. I've already referenced Chronicles of Narnia, but I do picture Mr. Beaver leaning into, whisp leaning into Lucy and whispering, they say Oslin's on the move. It's not high profile, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. But if these parables say something about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like, then if we're his followers, it should say something about us too. So the second application I want us to see is how we see ourselves. If Jesus' kingdom is summarized by small seed, big results, then so too are we. We may feel like what we do or the impact we're having is insignificant or obscure, unnoticed, understated, but in God's economy, that yields big results. You and I are probably not going to make the headlines for our faithfulness to Christ. No matter. The seemingly insignificant can yield surprising results with God's leavening, magnifying power. So, if we are followers of Jesus, we are never just nurses or just teachers, or just scientists, or just business people. All that we do can be taken up by God, so every aspect of service, every step of obedience, every expression of love or care for others, every relationship we cultivate, everything we do has kingdom potential. We'd better not take our cue from culture and assume our impact is determined by our credentials or status or money or degrees or power. It's mustard seeds. So maybe instead of feeling like we aren't making a difference or wishing we had a higher position or status, we could instead look at around the people we interact with and think, mustard seed moment. I'm going to plant this tiny seed. Who knows how big it'll grow? Maybe that's by caring for an aging parent and the exhaustion of that physically and emotionally. Maybe that's by the mundane, unending work of prepping food, serving it, cleaning up after it when you have young children. Maybe it's smiling and showing a little kindness to a student in your class or going the extra mile at work, whether it's a student who's struggling or a patient who needs a little extra compassion or humor? How do we know what impact that will make? We don't. It's not for us to do the cost-benefit analysis, frankly. We don't need to waste time calculating, is it worth it? In God's kingdom, little seeds and small batches of yeast can go far, like babysitting somebody's kids weekly so the parent can have a rest like steering the conversation away from gossip when it starts to go there, like standing up for what's right even when it isn't welcomed, 
like being a group leader at VBS for four days of your summer for kids who don't normally go to church. Now, it's true. It takes time to see those results. This is no Jack and the Beanstalk or James and the Giant Peach scenario here where the seeds sprout overnight. But they will blossom. Yes, that takes faith to believe. But even that, Jesus says, is fine if you just have a little bit of faith for that. Matthew 17, 3, if you have faith as small as a, what, mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Friends, we may have to squint to see it, but it is here nonetheless. God's kingdom is not always in the big, the glamorous, the flashy. It's not that it can't be in those things. We just don't have trouble believing it can be in those things. It's that it can be even in the small, unobservable, unnoticeable things. And when we get comfortable with this reality, we can live into that more. And then we won't miss out on the mustard seed moments God is inviting us into. So for anybody here today who feels like you don't have much to offer, it's just a drop in the bucket. Dare I say it's just a small, fledgling little church. Jesus says, mustard seed. Mustard seed, mustard seed, leaven, leaven, leaven. It will grow. Give it time. The potential for impact is already baked in. Now, obviously, the way it grows may not be the way we imagine or, frankly, prefer. We must exercise caution with our metrics. But the truth stands. God specializes in leavening. He specializes in magnifying, multiplying, causing astounding results from seemingly insignificant starts. May it be so among each one of us individually, in our lives, in the way God has invited us to impact his kingdom, and us corporately as a body of Christ seeking to represent Jesus on the corner of 54th and Humboldt. Let's pray. Oh, indeed, this is good news. <laughs> this kingdom we long for, that we um, could just taste that we're on tiptoe for, that your miracles point to, it is good news and it has begun in you. And we just thank you for the truth of this, how encouraging this is, how it speaks to our experience that we see signs and foretaste of it, but it isn't fully here yet. And so we ask, oh God, let your kingdom come on this earth as it already is in heaven. Let it come in our lives individually. Let it come through this church body so that more people can see this good news and that it would impact our world in the way in which you so desire. Thank you that we can have full assurance that it will come one day. We give ourselves to you now to be a part of that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.